to it, you know, and they always, behind it, they always pointed forward to it. And our, our Bible's just that. Our Bible's a hymn book. It's all about him. And so when we read it, we have to realize that we're reading in the Old Testament, we're reading about Jesus' coming, and we're reading in the New Testament, we're reading about Jesus, what he did here, what he left us with. It's so good. It is so good. So, the wife bought the husband what he always wanted, bought him a baby pug puppy. It was so good. And she said, you know what? In spite of the squashed nose, the bulging eyes, and the rolls of fat, the puppy seems to like him anyway. <laughs> I wanted to let everyone know, you know, I bought, got you all books for Christmas, but I have to warn you, they're due back at the library next week. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I, have, I also have a, a poem. I don't know if you've heard this one or not, but... Here we go. If you, see a, if you see a fat man who's jolly and cute, wearing a beard and a red flannel suit, and if he's chuckling and laughing away while flying around in a miniature sleigh with tiny eight, tiny eight, eight tiny reindeer to pull him along, then let's face it, your eggnog's too strong. <laughs> Christmas in Bethlehem. I've titled today's message, Christmas in Bethlehem. And I have a quote by George W. Truett, which I thought was appropriate for today. It says, Christ was born in the first century, yet he belongs to all centuries. He was born a Jew, yet he belongs to all races. He was born in Bethlehem, yet he belongs to all countries. Let's pray. We come to you, Jesus, Savior of the world. And we are so excited about the brightness of your coming again. The brightness of who you are. The brightness of your countenance. How it was all heralded hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago of your coming and of your coming again. And we're so looking forward to it, Father. That the light of the world stepped down into darkness. Stepped down into this darkness to light our way our path, our way to heaven. So, Father, this morning we want to praise you and thank you for what you did for sending Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for volunteering. You said, I'll go. I'll go. And you came and you endured and you did much more than endured. You made the way. You made the way. I praise you this morning, Jesus. I ask for your anointing upon this congregation upon the word that we have here today, that people would hear what you have to say, not necessarily what I've said, but what you have to say to them this morning, that your word would become alive, would become bread to us, would feed us this morning, and that we can carry forth the word of God into our life and into our family's lives that we go to, Father. Anoint all who are here, and I ask for a special anointing that I may be a conduit through which you might flow and bring the word, that it wouldn't be me speaking, but you, that you might speak through me this morning. I humble myself before you, for I know all things are from you and to you and for you. So I ask that this morning would be about you, Jesus. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And God's people say, amen.
Micah, the fifth chapter, and the second verse says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Ephrathah, or Ephraim. You know Ephraim? Second son of Joseph and Asenath. You know who Asenath is, right? The priest's daughter in, in Egypt that Joseph was given his wife. And Ephraim is the second son. All right. Israel. I brought a map. I brought a map. We, Sarah and I got to go to Israel. And one of the things the tour guide does, the tour company does, is give you a map. And I thought it was kind of appropriate. You want to hold that for me? That'd be great. Now, Israel is about 500 miles long, and it's at its widest point right here. It's about 125 miles wide. Okay? The landmass of Missouri is 68,000 727 square miles. The landmass of Israel is 8,630 square miles. If you were to turn this into a cube, and Missourian do a cube, you could put this landmass over eight times into the state of Missouri. Amazing, isn't it? I want to show you kind of, you know, here's Bethlehem right here. Bethlehem is about five or six miles south of Jerusalem. So it's not far. It's close, very close. But if you want to find Nazareth, you come up here to the Sea of Galilee, and you go a little east and a little south, and you will find Nazareth right in here. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, right there. Right there is Nazareth. So Mary and Joseph made that trip, about nine inches on that map. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's a ways. And if you notice, there's brown and there's green and there's all kinds of things. And it gives you a perspective of how it was. You see, Jefferson City is about in the center of Missouri, right? And we can go anywhere in Missouri. It's about the farthest point, probably 400 miles or so. From Jefferson City in just a few hours we can whiz out there and it's about 120 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem and we could do that probably in two hours pretty easy but the trip for Mary and Joseph was probably a week or better for them to travel from Nazareth down there you know, one of the things that Sarah and I got to do when we were in Israel, we got to go to Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, uh, it's a city, I don't know, 30,000 or so now. It's kind of exploded in modern times. But Bethlehem is under Muslim uh, Arab jurisdiction. And so we were on a tour bus, and as you go from Jerusalem, where we staying, were staying at the time, the five or six miles by bus to Bethlehem, 
before you, just before you get to Bethlehem, there's a gate. And off to the side of that gate is a sign. And that sign says and warns eminent danger for any Jew who would enter Bethlehem. No Jews allowed. And <laughs> so our tour guide was Jewish, so he couldn't do that. So we, the tour company hired a tour guide from Bethlehem so that, you know, they could come. And so our, our tour guide was a, a young, young lady who got on, on the bus. What was funny, when we got to that gate and uh, we were to go into Bethlehem that day, the security guard made a show of inspecting our bus. He made the bus driver lift, you know, how the, the wall, the, I don't know what you'd call it, the side of the bus lifts up so you can put luggage or whatever underneath. He got in there and looked. But here's the thing about Bethlehem today. Bethlehem is really kind of poor. It really is. And their main source of income, tourism. And mo I'd say probably 90% of that are Christians wanting to go to Bethlehem to see where Jesus was born. Bethlehem is way over-commercialized. It really is. And, you know, the bus driver, he was chuckling <laughs> when they looked. They aren't about to stop a tour bus to come into Bethlehem. They aren't going to do that because that's where they're supported from. But this young lady got on the tour bus, and guess what she was? She was Christian. <laughs> she was from Bethlehem. Tell me God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> so she gets on, on the bus, and we get to talking to her, and she went to school in the United States. And she came over here when she was young and single and, and went to school, college for years, and decided to go back to Bethlehem and took her education and all she knew and went back to Bethlehem because that's where the family is. And now what she does for a living is she's a tour guide. Can you imagine? But anyway, she got on and we, we got on the bus and went into Bethlehem. And I, people, they were so accommodating, so friendly, so kind to us as we went in to Bethlehem. And we got in there, and there's three churches over the place where Jesus was supposed to be born. You know, three great big stone <laughs> edifices, if you will. And it's so commercialized. We went to one one's trinket shop, souvenir shop, keepsake shop, whatever you call it. And they're all over the city, and the place is just crammed in, and it just, but it's, it's really nothing like it was in the day uh, when Mary and Joseph uh, went there. It's very safe. I, I felt, never, I know she felt safe, and we never uh, felt in danger. But I can tell you this, I, even as I speak right now, I can feel the feeling I had when we were there, some of it. And I don't know if that's just a human feeling or if it's Holy Spirit feeling about being there. But we went there. We did the tourist thing. But you see, Bethlehem in Jesus' day was about a thousand, was under a thousand people is what's thought. So let's say 900. So how many inns would a town of 900 have? Maybe one, maybe one in. So that's, that's what they came to. 
pretty amazing. And you know, one of the things about, I, I think about when Mary and, and Joseph made this trip, so many pictures of Joseph and Mary show her as a really petite, kind of porcelain-looking, fragile. And, and I believe Mary was anything but that. She was a young Jewish woman who worked very hard, very young. She was sturdy. She was strong. God chose her because she needed to be strong, because she had to make this trip, and she had to raise the Son of God. And so here they came. By the way, uh, that trip, I, I don't think she was on a donkey. Scripture doesn't support that. That's been added. So I believe she walked 120 miles, nine months pregnant. That's what I believe. Life was not easy back then for anyone except maybe the ruling class. I can't imagine what it was like to travel that far across that terrain, dangerous countryside, thieves and robbers along the way. There were even dangerous predators out in, out in the countryside. And they had to go from Nazareth because, you see, Israel was an occupied nation at the time. It's occupied, Bethlehem's behaved, occupied by Arab Muslims today, and it was occupied by Romans back then. And the amazing thing is, <laughs> somebody in Rome thought that he better check and see if he was getting enough taxes. And so he, uh, we know the story, but he demanded that everybody go back to their city of birth so that he can get a census, make sure he's collecting enough taxes. And that silly dude thought it was his idea. <laughs> but it wasn't, was it? And why was that? Because the Son of God had to be born in Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph were where? They were in Nazareth. So they had to go down. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come to me the one to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So why'd they have to go to Bethlehem? Well, to fulfill prophecy, right? It had to be done. Or was it that prophecy was written because Jesus, because the Father saw ahead of time that this was where, how this was going to happen? He had it written in, written in Scripture this way. Don't ask me how prophecy works. I believe that prophecy was written and it had to be fulfilled. So God chose Bethlehem for the city of our Savior to be born. Bethlehem. You know what it means? House of bread. So Jesus, the bread of life, was born in the house of bread. Great city, huh? Great name. Genesis. I want to look at a little bit of the history of Bethlehem <clears throat> so we can get an idea what Christmas in Bethlehem, why, and where it came from. Genesis, the 35th chapter. I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis, verses eight and, 18 and 19. And we're going to talk about Rachel. Remember Leah and Rachel? We talked about Leah. Remember the plain one? <laughs> Remember the story? And so it was, verse 18, as her soul was departing, this is Rachel, 
before she died, that she called his name Ben-Onai, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. The competition between Leah and Rachel had been fierce, hadn't it? And Rachel, Leah had finally, uh, had, had had so many children, and Rachel finally had gotten pregnant a second time. And she was feeling it was victory, but here's the thing, the, the, the pregnancy was so difficult. It was so hard, and it was probably later in life that she ended up giving, giving her life. So she had, had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, one to lead a nation and one to save the world. Ben-Onai was what she wanted to call him, and that is son of my sorrow. That was Rachel's name for him. But ben, Jacob quickly changed it to Benjamin, the son of my right hand. So Jacob lost his beloved Rachel on his way because she was pregnant with child and they were traveling and she lost her life. Joseph, lineage of Jesus. The second history that I want to touch on is Ruth and Boaz. We all know the story of Ruth and Boaz, right? Kinsman, Redeemer, Boaz. Ruth, the first chapter, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Descendants of Ephraim, the second son of Joseph. We already talked about that. Most of us are familiar with Ruth's story, aren't we? Elimelech dies. Malon and Chilion, they both die. And Naomi decides to go back to her country. Bethlehem, Judah, and Ruth, the Moabitess, won't leave Naomi. So she goes with her back to Bethlehem, Judah. All sounds so familiar. Also points to Jesus, doesn't it? And she goes back, and Ruth meets Boaz. Boaz, a descendant in the lineage. And she ends up marrying him. We know the story. Ruth, the fourth chapter, verses 21 and 22, talks about the lineage. It says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, and Boaz was the father of Obed. Through Ruth, the Moabitess, verse 22, Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, King David of Bethlehem. So, Ephraim, Ruth, Boaz, now King David. 1 Samuel 17, 12. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and he, and who had eight sons, and the man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. So here's King David, and he's from Bethlehem. What a, what a tapestry woven through the lineage of Christ. 
Only God can weave one like this. Only one God can put one together like this. Prophesied about hundreds of years before this, and all these events, and they occur, and they lead up to Jesus as Messiah. Woven in are outsiders, Moabitess, Egyptians, kinsman redeemer, Boaz, one with the heart of God, King David, humble servants, warring lions, brilliant managers, and even a prostitute is in the lineage. God claiming all people from every walk of life and all of them have something that points directly at Jesus, a Savior to come. And it all begins with who? Joseph and Mary. And kind of ends with Joseph and Mary. What's your story? What's your lineage? Is it as sordid as this? Maybe. I don't, I don't think so. This was Jesus' heritage. This is where, these, these are his roots. What are your roots? If I were to go through each of your family tree, would I find this kind of? I suspect that we would. I suspect we would. But here's the thing about the heritage of Jesus. He had a heritage that was so famous and so amazing. He is the son of God. What a great heritage. Are you born again? You have the same heritage. You are a son and a daughter of God. That's your roots. That's your heritage. That's where you come from now. For you see, old things are passed away. All things have become new. So your heritage now is no longer Uncle Bill, who's a little crazy, and Aunt June, who is kind of loose and goosey, and, you know, on and on and on it goes, you know. We all have them. It's just the way it is. It's humanity. God weaves this all in because he wants us to know there's room for each one of us. He has it in his life. You, we have it in our lives. It is humanity. It's what God did. And he would tell us right now, I came just for you. Humbly, humbly, lowly, of no reputation. Born in a manger. Born in an animal's room, whatever it was. With the animals, with the smell, with the sounds. And that's us. Christmas. It's an amazing story. He came. What did he do? He served and suffered rejection. It's hard to understand that kind of love, isn't it? Fact is, fact is, I don't think any of us can understand the love of God before we become born again. That kind of love, that kind of acceptance, you won't find it among mankind. It doesn't exist among mankind, only from God, as we are, as we came, with all our faults, with all our ugly, if you want to call it that. Luke, the second chapter, verses 1 through 5. Joseph, the husband of Mary. We're going to talk about Bethlehem again. And it came to pass in those days 
that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. He thought it was his idea that all the world should be registered. This census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was house of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. What in the world were Joseph and Mary doing living in Nazareth? I visited Nazareth. In the hill that Bethlehem is on, it's a big hill, but it's nothing compared to the hill that Nazareth is on. Nazareth is, we think Bethlehem was little, maybe 900. Nazareth was probably 70 or 80. And it was 70 or 80 because it only had a well that would support 70 or 80. Had a very small well. And yet there they were because why? My son shall be called a Nazarene. It's the only reason. Why else would anybody leave Bethlehem, the house of bread, to go to Nazarene, to Nazareth to live? John 3.16, guys. Here it is. Here's the Christmas story. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have what? Everlasting life. You're just getting started. You've just begun. We're probably all not much bigger looking than Clint. <laughs> We're all little bitty guys. We're all young. We're all children of God. And there's room for all of us, every one of us. And God desires every one of us to come and spend time with him. You know, the story of Jesus' birth has been so many told so many times. And most of the time, the narrative is really wrong. But it doesn't matter, does it? The fact is, he came. He came as Savior of the world. He is the only begotten Son of God. And if we'll put our eyes on that and get our eyes off all the other stuff, life will be good for us. See, it really doesn't matter a whole lot what happens to us. Because we can say what? I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I have everlasting life. Wow. I, I, I would encourage us this year. I don't know if you read Twas the Night Before Christmas or not. I don't see anything wrong with fiction, as long as we understand it's fiction. And all these writings of fiction are just there for our enjoyment. But this Christmas, I would encourage each one of us, read the story in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Read the real Christmas story, how Jesus came, how he was born, how he grew up, what it's really all about, why we celebrate this, why it doesn't matter if it's on the right day. We don't know the right day, so we'll, we pick one. This is great. I don't care what anybody adds to it. Oh, you know, 
that's not the right day. So what? I don't care. And maybe when you get done reading Luke 1 and 2, maybe read John 3.16. How about that? Read that. Read that to your family. That's the Christmas story. Read that to those around you. Can't argue. It's all part of the Christmas story. And I'd say that to anyone who happens upon this video today. I think sometimes people happen upon a video or Facebook. And I would say to you, you too, come to Christ. Here's your chance. Jesus would have come, have you come and accept him. That you too can have the heritage that Jesus is Lord, that God the Father is your Father. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And I say I am really sorry for the things I've done wrong. I am truly sorry. And I ask for forgiveness. And I ask for cleansing. And I believe you were, you were the one who was raised from the dead in the flesh. And that you're sitting right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And we come to you and petition you this morning, Lord, pray for us. Pray for us that our lost loved ones would come to know you. That all those who happen upon this, this video, too, would come to know you. That they would say, Jesus, you're Lord. You're my Savior. Father, I ask that you go with everyone here, every soul represented here this week as they go. That they would not only enjoy Christmas, but that Christmas may be birthed through them, through the words that they say, and through the meditations of their heart. That Jesus is the reason we do what we do. I bless you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I thank you for your anointing upon everyone here and any who might be listening. I give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor and all God's people say. I pray you have a blessed week. An absolute blessed week. That God blesses and prospers everything you put your hand to this week. I do have an announcement or two I'd make for you jump and run. <laughs> There's no prayer tonight, but we're calling it family time so everybody can be home with family. Go do, go do your thing. Um, so, but New Year's Eve Sunday, we will have prayer that evening, 6.30. And I believe Rachel and, and Carol are having open house the day of New Year's in the afternoon. So come, enjoy, be part of it. Everyone welcome. Yeah, we'll see if we can get enough people in there we can crush that house. <laughs> Just kidding. So, one o'clock. Starts at one. Okay. Snacks are welcome. Yeah. Snacks and good attitude, right? Yeah. And if you got a bad attitude, just be quiet for a while and it'll change. So think about Jesus. Okay. So we've got that. And I think that's it for this week. A week off, guys. How about that? So, I think that's it. The Lord bless you. I'll stay up here for a while. If you want prayer, we'll pray for you. I know sometimes sometimes we have needs. No, all the time we have needs. <laughs> and that's the truth. So, Lord bless you.